whenever you get a chance to work with any kind of explosives, it's dynamite. Dude, I'll tell you what. Nice job, man. Nice job. Okay then. Nice job, dude. Wow, that was a little unexpected. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I wonder how many people remember that show. It hasn't been that long ago. The Extreme work, Extreme uh, Home Makeover House Edition or whatever it's called uh, came up. It was um, ABC sponsored it, so you can always see the connection with Disney and, and everything like that. But um. I always found like my favorite part of that show was the, the demolition part where they would just blow stuff up. Um, we all like a good explosion every once in a while, I imagine. So um, what I want to do today is kind of give you a little bit of, first of all, again, welcome, and give you a little bit of a background of what we're doing and what this series is all about. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to grow closer to you. Lord, we know that you are a God who knows us by name, who searches our hearts, who's created us for a purpose and a reason, who forgives us to free us for a new life and a new opportunity to live our lives in you. And so, God, we thank you for that, and we thank you for all the many blessings and all the many things that we want to lift up to you. We thank you for our church and the opportunity for us to be a part of of your ministry in this world, in this community. We pray for Bluffton. We pray for Hilton Head. We pray for Beaufort. We pray for, for Jasper County. Everything around us, Lord, we lift up to you in our prayers. We pray for the ministries of this community, but also, Lord, the ministries of the church worldwide. And Lord, we ask that you guide us today as we search our hearts, as we do a little demo work and talk about what it means to, to take you on, Lord, what it means for your Holy Spirit to be in our hearts and what it means to be your means of grace in this world. We lift up to you, Lord, those that are in our hearts that we're worrying about, those that are struggling, those that are sick, those that are in need of your healing love. We pray for all those that are, that are at the hospital. We pray for those that are struggling right now. God, we lift them up to you in your holy name. And we ask all of this, Lord, in your name, Jesus. May the words upon our lips and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer, Amen. So last Sunday, we began the series called Extreme Worship Makeover Church Edition. That's a lot to say over and over again. Um, last week, we talked about how with all its, the reality shows like Extreme um, Home Edition or Extreme Makeover Home Edition and, and Bar Rescue, which is my personal favorite, or uh, Restaurant Impossible. I wonder why it's my favorite. Restaurant Impossible. Um, all of these shows have some major things in common, and that is that you've got an expert that comes in that inspects the situation and says, makes points out to you all the things that are wrong, and then you have to take some steps to change the problem, whether it's a restaurant that's not functioning correctly or that's dirty or needs a renovation or a makeover, or if it's a home that has, has a problem or, or any of those things, there's steps that you take or the TV shows take to show how you can make things over renovate, make it new again, or how it's more convenient for your life. Well, what we wanted to do in this series is talk about how God is actually working in extreme makeover in every single one of us. We talked last week about how God inspects us, and what inspection means in a biblical sense, it means search us. It means know us. 
We talked about Psalm 51 and how God knows us before we were even born. God created us. God is a part of us. God makes God's business to search our hearts, to, to transform us, to inspect us, to make us new. But it all starts with the inspector, and that is our Lord. Well, today we're going to take our next step of our extreme worship makeover, and we're going to talk about demolition, demo. Now, the kind of demo that we're talking about when it comes to your faith is not that different than the demolition that you saw just a few minutes ago. It's an explosion, a change, a change of, of life, a change of way you live, a change of your whole being. I loved what the uh, comment of one of the um, family members said, that, this, that we, there's no going back now. We are homeless. We, this, this project has now started. When it comes to your faith, what we want to do is challenge every single one of you. Is there things in your life that you need to give up? Are there things in your life that have strongholds on you that are preventing you from being who God created you to be? And so today we're going to focus on that. I've asked Monica to come back up again. We're going to have a conversation. And the reason we're going to have a conversation is we believe that this is such an important thing when it comes to your faith to talk about how God is working in your life and how God is making all of us new, not only us individually, but as corporately as a church, that we are constantly in the business of being renovated. And so what we want to do today is model what it means to talk about how your faith is always constantly challenging every single one of you to be made new. And so today it begins with demolition, and I thought it would be appropriate to show you a video, and before I show this video, I want to give you a little warning. It's a little, it might make you a little dizzy, and the reason it might make you a little dizzy is that I took it, and I wasn't quite sure how these phone iPod, uh, apples were working all that time, and so my iPhone kind of did, you know how some people will like film correctly and then move their phone and then go back again? Well, I did that, so I apologize if it makes you do this in a few seconds, and hopefully no one will get sick. Um, so I have a video that my friend Kurt reminded Monica and I of this week that I don't know if he even knew we were going to be doing this series, but this video is a perfect indication of what is needing to happen with demolition work. Let's play that now. This might look familiar, by the way, this space. This is when we first found this space called 39 Persimmon Street, Suite 203 and 204. That's the old bar. That is the VIP lounge. I will not tell you anything other than that. That's all I know that went on in there. Again, I apologize for my camera work. There's a pool table area over there. There was no children's area at that time. And this is the um, pastor's office, but we at that time was the liquor closet. See, there you go. Look, see the old desk and... We found all kinds of interesting stuff in there. This is the kitchen that had food still in it. Um, it was absolutely nasty. Um, there's a fireball mixed shot dispenser. Um, <laughs> bathrooms. Someone said, why didn't you knock? Well, there's a reason for why I didn't knock. It didn't matter at that point. No one probably would go in there because it smelled terrible. Um, this was the ladies' room. Again, sorry for my camera work. And that's all we have for you on that. Now, a couple more videos, not videos, pictures I want to show you. Um, that's what it looked like when we took the bar out. 
That's this area right here. See that screen? Well, that screen is we put over here on the stage. See the area that's not painted? Well, that was the old bar that this cross became. Well, the cross became cro- the the bar was where the cross um, originated. Um, you'll see the flooring. Believe it or not, this flooring that you're if you're over on this side, right there, is the original flooring. Um, we cleaned it thoroughly. Um, by the way, it was six different clubs. The last three clubs were um, interesting, that's all I'm going to say. And so the flooring, but we matched the other flooring to that. But in order to do any of this, we had to strip everything. Uh, a lot of the, the, the um, furniture and um, some of the audiovisual stuff we were able to purchase because the previous owner of the business was raided by, the, uh, by South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. And so we had this great opportunity to buy stuff. And so we, we bought a lot of the equipment um, that was there. That's the stage. Don't you love that beautiful blue um, color? My wife absolutely adored that color. So that was the first thing she wanted to do was paint it. Is that it, Barry? Is that all our pictures? Oh, we got more. Um, that's another space uh, view of the stage once we cleaned up, up a little bit. That's the same stage there that Spike Ivory fell through many years ago when uh, I was playing. <laughs> But um, that's just kind of, a, kind of some, a glimpse of some of the work that we had to do to change and transform this space from a bar, um, restaurant, bar, nightclub, lounge, I'm not going to go into any other details of what this place was, to what it is now. We left the bullet holes out front for a reason, um, but we did clean it up thoroughly. And to do that, we had to do demo work, demolition work. We had to remove the corrupt and the old, and God had a way of, of bringing in newness. And, and as I love that cross, when I think of the, the work that took place, and Charlie Hanna, who, who built that cross, is with us today, the love that it took to take that old bar and turn it into a sign of transformation, of newness and life, is exactly what we want to talk about today when it comes to us as followers of Christ, as human beings. What does God do to us to make us faithful, to make us who God intended us to be. And so I wanted to begin with one very important point. In order to start a renovation, you also need to tear down and remove what is broken and not working. The Word of God, though, puts it a little differently. The Word of God, our Scripture, Jesus talks about when you're doing a demo, when you're fixing something, it's not you that's fixing it. It's God. God breaks you down. If you're broken or fallen or struggling or hurting or something has been done to you that's changed your life for the ways that you don't want to be changed, the only way to truly take your next step is to allow God to do the work. And the good news is God is willing to destroy the brokenness and replace it with Jesus. So in order to give you another example of the work that I've experienced when it comes to demolition, that is removing of the old. When we bought our house in, um, in Rose Hill, where we live now currently, we bought, a, we, we bought a, um, a foreclosure through Fannie Mae. We bought a foreclosure. And the house needed some work, but one thing we thought was perfect was the walls. We thought all the walls inside were great until we had an inspection. And when we had our inspection the inspector found something. And he brought Kelly and I into the, um, we call the sunroom, 
which is where our kitchen area is. Well, that's kind of the breakfast nook area. And he said, I want you to put your hand on that wall, and I want you to push. I said, okay, sure. I put my hand on the wall, pushed, and it went through the wall. We had termite damage. And from the outside, it looked like everything was perfect, beautiful. But from the inside, it was corrupt. It was complete rubble. And once we started tearing down the wall a little bit, we realized that we had major, major demo. We had to take all the old, um, all the old things that, that, that the uh, termites like to eat called wood and remove it, remove all the damage in order to rebuild it. We had, it, um, my father-in-law is a builder, we had that wall being held up by two-by-fours for about a week. Kelly loved it. She loved it. She thought it was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> so demolition. And what I want to do is talk about that a lot and, and, and focus on it. And our scriptures lessons today are all about how God is working inside of us. Monica, thank you for being with us again today. Um, I want to read to you, um, all of you, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, 2 Corinthians is um, written by Paul to a church in Corinth. Now, this is the second time he writes to Paul, hence 2 Corinthians, I mean, to the church in Corinth. But it shows that he had been to Corinth. He started Corinth. He, was, um, he started the church in Corinth. He had a love for this church, but he also had a major frustration. The church was struggling. They weren't quite getting it. They were, they were in many ways broken. They had leadership that came in after Paul that were telling to manipulate the congregation and were doing exactly what Paul didn't want them to do. They started having inner, inner conflict with each other. And so some of the famous passages on love come from Corinthians. If you had a wedding you prob- or been to a wedding, you've probably heard this wonderful passage about ooey-gooey love, right? Love each other. But, well, actually, that was written to the church. And it was written about agape love, not marital love. But it was about how we are called to love each other. And the reason that is so famous is because Paul was so stressed and so worried about the church, this church, that he diligently wrote this beautiful letter all about what it takes to start over again. What it takes for God to change you from the inside out. And so we see this in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And it's all about in order to, for any remodeling to take place, you first have to do demo work. Well, we see that here in this passage. Paul says, So I made my mind up to not make you another painful visit. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I may, might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I'm confident all about you, that my joy would be the joy of all of you. For I wrote out of much distress and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain. By the way, he's, what he's doing, he's, he's explaining what 1 Corinthians was about, this first letter, and about the, 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 the words that they're getting about how Paul is upset and frustrated. He's basically saying, I'm not doing this to cause you pain. Instead, he's saying, I do, I'm doing this to let you know of the abundant love that I have for you. And I think it's important as we dive into 2 Corinthians, because we have three scripture lessons from them today, is to talk a little bit about Paul and about his character. 
Because Paul was, like most of us, if you're faced with challenge or you're faced with somebody um, judging you or confronting you, of course, inside of him, he has a fireness, right? Like we all, we all want to react to somebody who's doing that in our lives or who's, who's coming up against us. And he did have that. I mean, he most certainly wanted to fight back. But he realized that that probably wouldn't be the most effective way. And I think the the cool thing about Paul, there was a time in his life when he probably did react that way when he was Saul. But now he has been transformed. And he is um, very clearly trying to be and model Jesus-like behaviors Mm -hmm. as, as much as possible to the church. In fact, I think Paul gives us one of the greatest examples of what a pastor should be and how a pastor, sh- pastor should be real with this congregation or her congregation, but also should be humble um, and honest, but it's sometimes bold, sometimes take a step back. And, and you see that what Paul is simply doing is reflecting Jesus the best way he knows how. Right. And even in his letter, he's very raw. He asks for forgiveness. He's very clear that he's not perfect, but he, he comes in the sense of being a pastor that we all need to kind of be reminded of what a pastor should be. Oftentimes we expect a pastor to be like a Joel Osteen, uh, a, very, uh, you know, a motivational speaker or someone it seems like they're perfect or they got all the answers and, and I'm not picking on just Osteen. You know a lot of other pastors that come across that way. The good news, you don't have to worry about me ever coming across that way. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely not perfect. Um, but it's important, I think you're right, Monica, to know that from the very beginning of this letter, we see this carefulness that he has, this love that he has, but also this desire for his church and for all of us to change, mm-hmm. to change. Well, and so as we look at 2 Corinthians 1 through 4, as that you just read, we see that God doesn't want to break us down. He doesn't want to tear us down to cause us pain, just like Paul doesn't want to point things out that are hurtful in order to cause pain. But Instead, he wants to reform us. He wants to change us. And one of the things that I was thinking about is um, for parents out there or or children or teenagers, you know, when a parent um, tells a child or especially a teenager, when you tell a teen you're not allowed to do this, guess what? They want to do that even more, right? And so this kind of goes back to your point in saying that there was already someone in this church's life telling them to do things, the church to do things. And Paul knew he couldn't just go out and say, stop, don't do what this, what they're telling you to do. Instead, Paul had to be very careful and gentle about it, just like a parent has to be gentle in their relationship. And I think that's a great point. I mean, you see it here what he talks about in verse 3, he says that my joy would be the joy of all of you. And then and he, and he talks about how there is pain, there is challenge, there, there is problems that we all face. But Paul's ultimate desire isn't to reprimand or, or put people down. His ultimate desire is to build them, to rebuild them so they experience joy. And I think it's an interesting point where he talks about, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice, for I am confident about all of you that my joy would be the joy of all of you. You know, I think it makes, for me, speaks to me in, in the sense that oftentimes for us to really experience joy, we also have to know pain. We also have to know what it means to be empty. We have to know what it means to have uh, a need and desire to be refilled and refueled, to really be joyful people. 
Um, so I think that's a really important point as well. You know, and, and then and the second thing I think we see, and we, and we go through Corinthians, especially we go through this, this, the second um, book of Corinthians, letter of Corinthians, we see that we carry in the body the death of Jesus. And this is an important theme that Paul points out throughout his letter. And we see it in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. And it's important to, to note what, what it means about clearing out the, the goo, the, 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 the brokenness inside of you, so that you can be more like Christ. And, and we see this here. It says in verse 7, But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it, might, that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God, and it does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Note that that we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Now, it should make you wonder, what does that mean? What does that look like to carry the death of Jesus and why? Well, I think it's a reminder that in order to really change, we have to be changed. It goes back to my original point that for us to really change our lives, we have to be willing for God to actually be the one that helps change it by removing the brokenness in us. And the way God particularly does this is through Jesus Christ and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so I love what Paul does here. He says, so that. And that's basically Paul's way of saying, here's my main point. Here's what I want for you. He says, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in your bodies. In order for your Christ to be visible in your bodies, you need to let Christ transform you. Christ's death and his purpose for his death. The, the, the purpose to to free you from sin, to forgive you, to renew you. Let that transform you. So what we also want to see is something important that, that so that that life may be visible. You see it in verse 11. We, while we live, we are always get, being given up to the death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. That makes me think that the, if, we, if we think about the imagery of the pot, right, the clay pot, that the, the contents of that pot right. or the contents of whatever it is that, that we are changing is way more important than the exterior or the, the container that it's holding, you know? I, I was thinking about, I showed pictures of our shower yesterday and the contents of our shower, right. the, the plumbing and all of that stuff, that's good. We want to keep that. Um, right. We want to change. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. We want to change the inside of right. our shower. The outside was. We want to yeah. keep it a shower. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And and it's a, and that point is exactly what we struggle with, though. As human beings, we struggle with. We want everyone to see our exterior as perfect. We want everyone to see an image of ourselves as um, something that we might not actually be. We don't want people to see what's inside of us often because sometimes inside of us, people might not like to see what's inside of us. So we put these shells, these facades out, just like, you know, if you looked at my house before, not knowing that inside the walls were termite damage, it looked good. And the owner that lived there did everything he could, even though I knew he knew there was termite damage, Mm -hmm. he did everything he could to make it seem like it was perfect on the outside. But like your your bathroom area, 
you have to open it up and see that what's inside is really what you have to fix. What's inside is really what has to change. And that is very hard for us. It was hard for people back then in this time period that Paul's writing, but it's, I think, even harder with the world where we live in with social media and this image that we're trying to portray ourselves as perfect. The reality is, in order to truly change, you got to start from within. I also think sometimes we don't put as much importance on what's on the inside. We're so worried about... Uh, projecting what we want other people to feel or see that we don't even, we don't take the time to think about what's inside. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't take the time to really think about what's inside is actually my relationship with God. What's inside is the grace that, that God gives me freely that I'm going to then go out into the world and give to other people. We don't take time to work on those things because we take them for granted. That's, without a doubt. And, and I think we also struggle with working with others when it comes to this as well. We're because we're embarrassed, because we struggle with the fact that we have this, this image that we have to keep up, we, it, 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 we're worried about having to change with others. But the, the beauty of what Christ is doing is Christ brings us together for a reason. Christ did not expect us to all just come and worship on our own. Um, Christ brought us together for a purpose so that we together can be committed to changing and being renewed together. And that's what the purpose of uh, 2 Corinthians is all about. Let's go ahead and um, continue with 2 Corinthians. This is chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. God has a recovery toolbox. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war against this, the world do, as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience, once your obedience is complete. You know, notice how in this passage, what really stands out to me that Paul points out how God demolishes our strongholds. But I think in order to like really truly get what Paul is talking about, you have to know, you have to be able to, to, be, to be willing to acknowledge the strongholds that are in your life. Um, you got to have inspection. You got to be able to acknowledge the things that are taking you over. Um, one of the beauties of um, recovery programs is recovery programs, anytime you've ever heard of like AA or any, any program like that, what they do that's I think so effective is when you gather folks around that are struggling um, with an addiction, the first thing you do is every time you're together, you admit you are addicted. You admit that you have a stronghold that's over you. And, and what Paul is trying to do here, the way I look at it, is he's trying to make it very clear. You've got to acknowledge first that you have a problem. You have a brokenness. Um, you have something that's, that's not letting you be who we, God created you to be. But then he talks about, then he changes it and trans, trans, kind of transitions into that God, what makes God so amazing is that he actually demolishes those strongholds. And that's the epitome of grace. 
I, I can't help but look at this pack, passage and read it and think about social media for <laughs> some reason. You know, I think about how um, Paul talks about how he's timid when he's face to face with them. But as soon as he gets away, he's very bold. I think we see this a lot in our society where we hide behind a computer screen or a phone or we hide in, in wanting to project what we really feel but as soon as we have human connection, as soon as we are, are right next to somebody, all of a sudden we, we can't say what it is that we really want to say. <laughs> no, and, and, and what Paul does is he admits that he struggles with that. Mm-hmm. And he admits that, yes, when I step away, I'm probably more bold than I am when I'm with you. But what he's trying to do, I think, also is reflect Jesus and that Jesus wants to get rid of, God wants to get rid of those very things that are preventing you to be who God created you to be. And as a pastor, you can see he's struggling with this Mm -hmm. because he knows he's not perfect. He knows that he's made mistakes. He knows that everybody knows his reputation as Saul, that he uh, was a man who gave in to anger and was incredibly um, violent. And he knows all that, but he's trying to be humble. and, And through his humanness and brokenness, I think what he's trying to say is that God takes that brokenness and can change not only someone like me or someone like Paul, but it also can change you if you're willing to let God recover you through his toolbox. So it's the way that he does it here is a reflection of how, again, going back to the character of Jesus, it's him reflecting um, how to be a disciple. Whereas I think we misconstrue that in our lives. (laughs) We use it for our benefit versus um, really trying to be disciples. Yeah, and, and, and that's what, what Paul does. He does it very um, uh, secret, like not se- sneakily kind of. He, talks, start, he starts, he says by humility and gentleness, and then he starts kind of naming some of the things that are, that are our strongholds for the congregation, which also are probably strongholds for you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, he says in uh, verse 3, he, he says this. He says, for, for though we lived in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, that have divine power to demolish strongholds. Then he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So here's the question that I think we all should ask ourselves. What are the strongholds? What are the things that you need God to demolish, that you need God to clear out, that you need the Holy Spirit through God's grace to change, to get rid of, so that you can be the person that God created you to be. All of every pretension, every argument, the com- conflict inside of you that we all struggle with, in order to be who God wants us to be, what is it that needs to be removed? I want to challenge us all with this, and I want us to think about what is it going to take for you to let God get a hold of you. You're going to let God give up the things that are, that are, that are preventing you from being who you create, who God created you to be. And also, I think it's important to give up the things that people put on you or put inside of you. Hatred, judgment, um, the, the things that you struggle with that, that because you are hurt by others, those things God also wants to remove from you. And this toolbox what he uses to remove it is was seen in Jesus, and that's grace. That's loving you in spite of what's inside. 
loving you in spite of what's broken, loving you in spite of your imperfections, that love, which we call grace, is what actually is the, things, is the thing that can remove that stronghold that you're in conflict with. Well, as I was wrestling with this this week and I was thinking about how um, I can apply this to my own life, um, I was actually reading a book and I want to share a quote with you. Um, it's a book that I have read and reread and it's one of those good nuggets to kind of go back to. It's called Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. And she says, holding each other accountable takes place inside community and relationships. Holding each other accountable comes from a beautiful place in the heart of friendship that makes you sit down with your friend and ask with love if they've looked at their own actions in a particular light. Holding each other accountable comes from a place of love. Judgment comes from a place of fear, disdain, or even hate. So be careful about dressing your judgments up as accountability to make your conscience feel better. Hmm. Well, that's... That's meddling right there. <laughs> but I think it's what Paul is, is showing us. He mm-hmm. is really desiring a real relationship with these people, with this community, and he's doing all of this out of love. He's holding them accountable because he cares for them. And I think that is, is um, part of our toolbox. It's part of applying it to our lives is, is in our friendships and in our relationships. Are we really holding each other and ourselves accountable? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, that, and, and I think that's the importance of the church. Um, and when I say church, when, when Monica and I talk about the church, I think it's important to know what we mean by the church. We don't mean um, just a worship space. We, we, and fortunately for us, we, we, have, we are in a different kind of non-traditional worship space in and of itself. But what we mean by the church is a community. It means people like us that care, that first of all have a relationship with God, that want to give ourselves to God, that want to be faithful to God, that are willing to admit that we're not perfect, that we need a Savior to rescue us. And, and a church is a bunch of people that are, that are in need of being fixed, a need of being resurrected, a need of being changed. And, 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 and notice that we're not saying a church is perfect. Goodness gracious, I know and Monica knows from experience perfect. that we're not perfect. But that's how God uses us to be a part of his saving business. John Wesley, who um, was, the, was the motivation behind the Methodist movement, that, that his ministry was what, why we're calling ourselves Methodists today, was very simple. He said, to be a Christian is very simple. It's to love God, love neighbor, and give yourself to the Lord. And to give yourself to the Lord means you're giving yourself to God's saving business, his ministry, his grace, his Holy Spirit. And when you do that, as Monica, I think you point out beautifully with this quote, it means holding each other accountable in love. It means getting, getting a little dirty sometimes with other, you know, getting dirty in the sense that it's not perfect. It's not, it's messy. And when you deal with people, you have to deal with people that are also broken and in need of fixing, that are in need of recovery. But before we can ever talk about what we're going to talk about next week, we have to be willing together to release the things that are keeping us from being the community that God has intended us to be. Now, um, before we end, and I want to, we both want to challenge not only you, but challenge our whole church um, on ways that we can be the community of faith that models what we hear, what 2 Corinthians 
Paul talks about in his passages today. And that is a people of joy, a people that, are, that have struggled, though, that people that, that are in need of, being, of knowing that, that you need a Savior. We are being challenged, I think, to ask ourselves, what is it that we need to demolish? What is it that you need to demolish in your own life that God needs to take, get rid of in your own life that prohibits you from loving others and loving God? What is it that we have to surrender? And I love the song that we had today, um, the second song where, where, where Wayne was singing that, that we are surrounded by God. This is how I fight my battles. Well, in order to fight your battles, you have to surrender. You have to live for God and not for brokenness. If you're willing to demolish the things of the world and replace them with the thoughts, minds, and actions of God in Christ, then we have to all be willing to tear that down. And that means we have to be willing to be real with each other. That means that we have to be honest and humble and meek, but also bold when needed. And so our hope is this week, you think about how, what is it that God needs to remove so that he can fill you with his purpose and his love. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we are so thankful that you fight our battles. We are so thankful that you have won the war that's inside of all of us, that you've won that war of brokenness, that you have defeated evil through your Son, Jesus Christ, that you have died for us and that your death makes us whole. Lord, renew us, recover us, transform us through your love and through this toolbox that you call grace. I thank you, God, for the honesty in this room today, honestly, that we all need to have, Lord, with you, that admit that we are not perfect, that admit that we not only need an inspection, we need a demolition. We need, we, we, we need Lord, for you to remove the anger in us, the hate in us, the judgment in us, the hurt in us, the addictions in us, the problems that we all struggle with in us, Lord the self-centeredness and the greed in us. We need, Lord, for you to remove those things and fill them with your son, Jesus, just as Paul models in his letter today. Fill us with your spirit and help us be made whole in you. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Margaret.